0: Well, in the midst of trying to wrap up my old job and start up my new job, I don't actually work here yet until January 1, you know that's a lie, but anyway, uh, and, and, and move from one place to another, uh, all of those things that, that give us pause in life to have to fall back on what we know to be really, really true. That's the kind of week I've had. Uh, and this week, I got to fall back on what I really trust, and that is the Holy Scriptures that have been given to us as God's Word. Now, this, this Scripture lesson we heard this morning, particularly the Gospel lesson, I suspect is not your favorite version of the Christmas story. It's not mine. When, when I hear the Christmas story in my head, I hear it in Luke's beautiful prose. And in fact, I hear it in my daddy's voice because he reads it every Christmas Eve at my family's house. And we're going to miss it this year. We had to come and find a new family. Will you all love us enough on Christmas Eve? Come back Christmas Eve. I'm going to be missing folks. I'm going to need you to be around me on Christmas Eve. But I hear that story in his in his beautiful, lilting New Orleans accent. And this this text is all right, but it's not our our favorite one. Matthew gives us a straightforward account. Matthew's story has the power of a well-told short story that doesn't take long to hear but sticks with you if you really pay attention. This is a straightforward account of the penultimate moment in Joseph's life before he becomes a husband and a father. The penultimate moment. I love that word penultimate. Do you know it? It's a word I like to use to show off. (laughs) Penultimate. I just like how it sounds when I say it. It means the thing that comes before the last thing. It's the next to last, the penultimate. A penultimate draft is the version of the plan at the office that you email around to everybody for one last vetting before it goes live, right? At the factory, the inspector has the penultimate task. Product can't go out, can't ship unless the inspector has done her work. Right? At the construction site, what is it? The, anybody in construction? It's the punch list. That last list of things that you go over to make sure everything's just right before you invite the new owner in. At the penultimate step in any process, all the preparation that has gone before is now finished. Only one last decision has to be made. And it's the hardest decision of all. Are we ready? Is it a go? Can we open the door? I think that's where Joseph was in this story. He was having a penultimate moment. I imagine, like most fiancés, he was taking account of the pros and cons of marriage because the day was approaching when he would formally take Mary from her father's house and move her into his own. That was the simple ceremony, all it took in Jewish law to make someone be officially married. And that day was upon him. Things being what they were for women in that place and time, the decision to follow through on his engagement was entirely Joseph's to make. Sorry, ladies. We're still trying to learn. Did he have cold feet? Or was he happy with the arrangement that his uh, parents had made with Mary's parents? We can't really know, but we would be off- he would be awfully unusual if he had come to that penultimate time of decision entirely sure that getting married to this particular woman was going to bring him contentment. When I think we, what I think we can discern from this story is that over the period of their engagement, Joseph had fallen in love with Mary. Now, marriage in those days and in many parts of the world today. In many parts of this country today, marriage was not really much about love. It's about survival, about property, right? I'm convinced, though, that Joseph loved Mary because his reaction to the devastating news that she was pregnant and not by him was remarkably caring. The Bible says Joseph was a just man. But if that's so, then this text redefines what justice means. Joseph's neighbors would have said that justice demanded that he shame her publicly and that she be driven out of her own family and the village that they lived in and forced to live a life of desperation as a sex worker. Mary. In the old days, when Moses was around, the sentence for a crime would have been stoning But even in the more enlightened time in which Joseph lived, the law reflected the natural inclinations of most men who have been embarrassed and whose hearts have been broken. The law allowed for Joseph to lash out at Mary in the most horrible ways imaginable. He chose to care for her instead. Joseph's decision to simply walk away from his engagement without taking his hurt out on Mary was made before the angel came to him in a dream. He didn't have the benefit of the narrator's voice that we hear telling us what was happening when Mary's body and in both their lives was a fulfillment of prophecy from Isaiah that God, that God, God self would come and be with us. Joseph only knew that he loved Mary. He chose love over the law. And for that, the Bible calls him just. Then came the angel. Now you know, even in a dream, an angel must be something to see. In his wisdom as a storyteller, Matthew doesn't give us a detailed description of what the angel looked or sounded like If he had, we'd always be out looking for one, right? And we'd probably miss the next one that was actually coming. If all we had was this one description of an angel, we'd be looking for that all the time. Lord, send me an angel just like you sent to Joseph. And we'd miss the many angels in our midst. The angel's message was, to a certain extent, a reprisal. That's a musical term. A repeat of the message that Joseph had already heard in his own heart. The message from God was to keep doing what he was already doing, choosing love over the law. But it came with the assurance that sometimes only God can give. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Through the angel, God was inviting Joseph to go a step further than he'd already gone, Joseph probably thought that choosing to quietly dismiss Mary from his life was the toughest decision he'd ever make. But it was only the beginning. Choosing to invite her into deeper relationship was going to require an act of raw courage because he would be defying the moral norms of society by taking a pregnant woman into his house. And you know everybody knew. You know everybody knew. If the time had come for Mary to fess up to Joseph, everybody already knew. could know what it would be like to be the adopted father, the parent of the son of God. I bless my sweet daddy. I, I was born and my father died about four months later. And my mama remarried when I was four years old. And what a blessing my daddy has been to me to have chosen to be my adopted father and meant it every day of his life. But who knows what it takes to do that when you're just getting started. In the eyes of the state and of his neighbors, when Joseph took the pregnant Mary into his home, he made both a legal part of his family, just like my daddy did when he took me and my mama in. In doing so, he facilitated the fulfillment of yet another prophecy, That Messiah would come from David's royal line of which Joseph was a part. Again, this is a pretty good short story if you pay attention to it. This powerful little story accomplished a lot for Matthew's first hearers of it. In one fell swoop, Matthew tied up for them the seemingly incongruous predictions that the Christ would be both the son of God and a son of David. He gets it all tied up pretty neat. Yet for Joseph... It's all about the love. He knew little enough about what would happen to him and his new family to start with a healthy and rational concern. But he chose love anyway, first for God, and then for Mary, and then for Mary's baby. He could have retreated to his own home and lived simply and peacefully ever after. No one on earth would have blamed him. Even after the angel's visit, going through with his marriage was entirely his choice. In the penultimate moment, the moment of decision that drives the success or failure of all that follows, Joseph chose love over the law and by his actions helped set in motion a world-changing movement centered on the one, can you quote it from O Holy Night, whose law is love, and whose gospel is peace. This last Sunday of Advent is a penultimate moment. Our last gathering for worship and reflection together before the joy and celebration that we will experience Friday night at our Christmas Eve service. We stand at the threshold of Christmas, the arrival of Christ in our lives. We hear Matthew's witness to Joseph's faith, and each of us wonders, would I be able to do that? If Jesus comes this Christmas accompanied by an angel who might call me out of my comfortable life for love's sake, would I open the door? I kind of had one of those moments this week. I was flat out busted, tired. I'd had it. And I'd earned it. You know, I've been doing a lot. Tuesday, the word came that I had to go down to the Capitol to be a clergy consort for a group of young people from here in Texas. I went with other clergy members from Texas, from San Antonio and Dallas and other places. These young people were dreamers. They were undocumented young people who came here not by their own decision from another country but because they were led by the hand by mamas and daddies and they have managed in spite of all of the challenges that they have confronted to finish high school and they're asking our government for permission to stay here because they don't know the old country anymore really never did know it little children brought to this country raised in america only know america and asking to stay here so that they can finish their education, finish a college degree, or give themselves to military service to this country that they love. We went to make that case to one of our United States senators, and we talked about care for the neighbor. We talked about rewarding responsible behavior. And... The staff person that we got to meet with just wanted to talk about the rules of the Senate. She wanted to talk about procedure. She said, Oh, the senator's with you in in theory. She really wants to vote for this bill. She does. But there are all these things that get in the way of it and if the other folks would just do this and this and this and this and this and the list went on and on and on and we kept trying to make points about these young people and their lives and their dreams and the future of our country and how we would be stronger together if we would wrestle with our problems uh, in peace and love and mutual concern and all they wanted to talk about was the rules. Oh, she wants to help you, she said. They walked right up to the threshold (laughs) and they gave it a good and even approving look. And then they quietly closed the door. Now, I was worried. We had anticipated that reaction, but I was worried about those young people. What would I see in their faces? We got out in the hall we started to debrief. I'll tell you what I saw. I saw determination that ministered to my tired heart. They came back and they said, you know, this is not the first time we have faced a problem. They were telling us adults, oh, yeah, this has happened to us before. When I went to see somebody this time, they said this and that, you know. And they were, they were helping us feel better about the meeting. They knew that while it was entirely the choice of Senator Kay Bailey Hutchison, how she voted on the DREAM Act, that she she could in fact choose to close the door on love, the choice on whether or not to open it again was entirely theirs. And they lived into that moment. And they ministered to this pastor. As we stand at the threshold of Christmas in this penultimate time in the Advent season, it feels almost as if Jesus is with us. He's just on the other side of the door, near us, near us, but not quite yet fully realized. Almost. Is he really coming? Will he come again this year in our hearts anew? And if he comes, will he bring with it a challenge that's going to be a little scary for us? A challenge of love. The choice is really entirely up to you. I urge you to open the door. open the door.